This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. From Gimlet, this is The Pitch. I'm Josh Muccio. I want to see how he does with Hillfinger. I actually do. On this show, we venture into the world of startups to a critical moment when aspiring entrepreneurs put it all on the line and pitch investors for funding. Okay, what makes a good business? Not just a mission. Not what makes a good mission, what makes a good business? As much as I want the business to exist, I don't know if it can. Today, two founders pitch a food delivery service built on the hopes of making kids healthier and reducing headaches for parents. But noble ideals can only take you so far. And then you need a solid business plan. Phil Nadell is the founder of Forefront Venture Partners. For him, a pitch all comes down to the bottom line. When you're investing your own money, do the right thing. When you're investing my money, pay the minimum you can pay. Jillian Manis is here representing Structure Capital. She really champions entrepreneurs, especially when she can get behind their mission. I do think you're onto something, and the fact that you're trying to help young people, good for you. Jake Chapman's here with Gelt VC. In pitches, he really gets in the weeds with all the details of a startup. We need data, right, to say that people do sit and play this for three hours or whatever it is. And like, what, what sort of data do you have on that? Howie Diamond founded the VC firm Ranch Ventures. He invests in founders as much as their startups. If he can believe in them, he'll believe in their company. If I had more disposable income, I would probably invest personally in you. Shil Manat is with 500 startups. He tries to keep it real with founders, letting them know exactly how he sees things. There's gonna be days where they don't show up, but there's all these nightmares that you'll have to deal with. Our investors seem to be enjoying themselves. How are you guys? In walk our founders today, Megan and Alex. I'm Megan. And I'm Alexandra. And we're the co-founders of Tuckerbox, the first farm-to-lunchbox meal delivery and food education app for kids. So one of the biggest problems that we face in this country today all starts with what we send our kids to school with in their lunchboxes. I'm talking about the peanut butter and jelly, the sugary yogurts, the juice boxes. One in three American children are obese. One in five will develop an obesity-related disease. And all of this um, really stems from the fact that they're not learning healthy eating habits in their childhood to feed themselves well as adults. Everyone agrees that the biggest contributor to childhood obesity is kids' eating habits. But Megan and Alex think the issue runs even deeper. And I think the big problem there isn't that it's a problem for kids, it's that it's an issue for families. So parents are already spending over 700 hours every year 
buying foods and prepping foods for their kids. Mm -hmm. It's time consuming, it's challenging. You know, how do you balance creating a nutritional diet against picky eating habits? So we really asked ourselves, how can we create a healthier generation through food and technology? And for us, the answer was obvious. It's putting kids in the driver's seat and seeing them as active eaters. I gotta say, calling your answer to a pervasive problem like childhood obesity obvious, that takes some confidence. What are your guys' backgrounds? Yeah, so my background is in advertising and design, and I worked on um, lots of different tech and sort of Fortune 500 companies as an art director for six years in New York City at big agencies. And I kind of come from a different world than Meg does. So my background was in urban planning, and I spent a long time doing food food systems works. All of kind of the last especially five years of my life, have been looking at like how our food system is sort of broken and the different inroads that we have to change it. After seeing these broken food systems up close, Alex teamed up with Megan to create Tuckerbox. On the Tuckerbox app, kids go online and they get to choose their own lunches every week. They're healthy and they're kid-centric. And then they're also to, able to go and play and learn about food in a way that's fun. Plus, all of those meals get delivered right to their homes, which is convenient for parents. We're raising $800,000 to build out the rest of our app, to develop our food menu, and to launch our beta back in New York. So you haven't launched yet? Not yet. Got it. If they can raise the $800,000 they need, Tuckerbox will launch as an app that parents and kids can use to learn about healthy foods and then have those foods delivered right to their door. It's like a kid's version of Blue Apron, but with a health education mission. What, what, what's the age group that yeah, you're, that so you're looking at? Yeah, so we're targeting target? elementary school kids. Um, that okay. ranges all the way from pre-K to sixth grade. But didn't you, didn't you say you're going to have the education. kids go on and, and make the choices themselves? Yes, yeah, so that's what I was going to say. Like, are you, are they going to have phones? An elementary kindergarten kid's not going to have a phone. And so are you selling the parents? Are you selling the kids? Are you selling both? Well, generally, we're selling to both because any sort of economic decision isn't being made by a child. So the point is you're first marketing it to the parent, especially in urban centers where both people are working. It's more and more difficult for parents to navigate their daily lives and also making healthy lunches for kids. You know, if we were making our persona of the, the target child, it would be like seven or eight years old because we think that's when they're developing these habits that they take with them. How often will you do deliveries? So right now we're looking at doing deliveries twice a week. There will be a Sunday delivery for the first half of the week, and then we're toying with either a Tuesday or a Wednesday delivery for the second half of the week. So you're delivering to the home. So if you only do two drop-offs a week, how are you going to keep these food fresh? You have a Sunday meal, and how are you going to keep that, which is prepared usually probably on Saturday, and then you're going to, the child's going to be able to eat it on Wednesday? I mean, if I'm completely honest with you, basically our R&D is around a lot of how do you create fun and interesting cold leftovers. Right. Like right now we've been testing a couple of different things with a chef that I know through Blue Hill. And she's been working with us basically develop kind of cold burgers or cold veggie burgers, things that will hold up in their own right. That kids will really like to eat. Yeah, she has a daughter and, you know, her kid is just like loving this food. So we're kid testing all of our food. Yeah. See, this is where I have a disconnect a bit because nutritional, I mean, I made my lunch for four kids Mm -hmm. and my key was to make sure that things were fresh. I'm not seeing a nutritional food for a child that they're going to want to eat that's four days old. 
So I think a couple of things. I one don't think that kids are necessarily making the connection with how old it is. So, yeah, but I am as a parent because the nutritional value actually minimizes after something is cut. Something is what you know. So unless these are heavy prepared foods with a lot of salt to preserve them. I worry about the actual nutritional value. Of yeah, I mean, I think days. that's part of the recipe development okay. that we're that we're working on right now. So we have the chef who's creating these recipes for us now, and they're going to be working with us to look at them and say, okay, like, yes, you created that. That's nutritionally balanced. What will that look like in a couple of days? So you're completely correct. Like, there's a lot of testing that needs to be done around that. I don't think that that is something that's insurmountable. I think it requires. Jillian's bringing up a big issue. But that might end up being a good sign for Megan and Alex. When investors raise concerns about your product, it means they're really engaging with your pitch. So as long as you've got convincing answers ready, you're in good shape. And Jillian isn't the only parent who's keyed into this pitch. If you had the same kind of technology, the same kind of app, but you gave them creative ideas for recipes the parents could make based on the kids' tastes and, and healthy decisions, and you get the parents more involved with understanding how to properly feed the kids healthy foods, which then they can bring carry over to dinner yeah, and whatnot. I, and you have yeah. a menu of all the stuff. Like, every child is individual, mm -hmm. right? So if you had a whole menu of what each children's loves are, some like, you know, some don't like meat, some like don't like cheese, some don't want to eat this, some this, because that was actually always a problem of mine. Oh my gosh, I don't want to repeat what I did yesterday. And now, you know, Brock doesn't like cheese and Mandy won't eat this and, you know, Nick won't eat that. And so I'm just wondering. Sounds like you have really picky kids. What? <laughs> well, every, you know what? Every kid is picky. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Every kid is picky. That's the bottom line. I do lunches for my younger son every day. He's vegetarian and very picky yeah. <laughs> as well. And, you know, I, I always worry about repeating stuff for him, and I don't want to make it boring for him. I want to keep it interesting, and, but give him stuff that he likes that can also be, you know, served cold and carried in a yeah. lunch bag during yeah. the day. You have all these constraints. And I'm always searching for ideas. Like, I wander through Whole Foods looking for ideas. That's exactly I, the problem. I, I search sure. online for recipes for, you know, lunch for kids who are vegans and who are picky, you know, whatever. And it's very but time consuming. If wow. I had an app right. or a site that, that, you know, that would and help that, me find ideas that were customized for him, that met his tastes yes. and his dietary preferences yes. and that were healthy. Yeah. I think it would be wonderful. I would pay a, I would pay a decent amount for that and I wouldn't get I wouldn't buy the so, the delivery. Phil, if curious. if there was a comp if there was a company just offering that, you know, let's say it was Everybody ten bucks a month. So oh, that's oh. first of all that's a lot. But would you would, like ten bucks a month? I, I'm just in. for information. Yeah? Oh yeah. And you would invest in the company? I'm in in terms of a customer. <laughs> I don't know. So that's the thing. It's like is there a business to be had around that? Before the investors can get too far off course, imagining some alternative recipe-generating app, Howie steers the conversation back to what Tuckerbox is actually trying to do, deliver healthy lunches for kids. So what kind of, like, can you give us an example of oh, one, of the, one of the meals are? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, this part that. really excites me. You know, we, we, like I said, are really trying to be very 
kid-centric. So it's not about, for me, you know, reinventing kids' food. Like, yeah. if kids love mac and cheese, why can't we give them a mac and cheese that they can feel inspired by and make it out of quinoa and call it a surfer's quinoa mac and cheese? Um, another Yeah, you know. so one of the big things that we've been working around is themes. And so right now we're working with this idea of, like, a picnic party lunch. We're experimenting both with a veggie burger for, like, a non-meat option and a turkey and kale burger for a meat option all of our meals have like an entree and like a healthy side and a healthy dessert. It's not giving kids things that they don't want to eat. It's reimagining the foods that they already want and creating things that they're excited about that they look at the pictures of and they say, okay, that looks like something I've had before. And it's introducing them to new ingredients like that. It's saying like, here's this thing you know and you recognize. And then the next time you get it, maybe you notice, oh, that's weird. I didn't know I liked butternut squash. I didn't know I I liked beans. Or I didn't know I liked whatever. For us, it's about creating those kind of things. When you pitch, you should bring samples. Yeah. Maybe it's just that we're getting close to lunchtime, but the investors sound like they could go for a Tucker box right about now, which could be promising for Megan and Alex. But it's one thing to sell investors on the food. Can they also sell them on the business? What's the price point? $13 lunch. $13 a lunch. $13 a lunch. Yep. So the way I think about it is half of Americans are packing lunches. A big part of that is a financial decision. So take me through your justification yeah. for yeah. $13. So, yeah, I'd love to talk about it a little bit. So the average school lunch, uh, packed lunch, is between 6 and $7. Um, the reason that Tucker Box is, you know, a far more quality and, and it's a nutritionally balanced chef-prepared meal delivered straight to your door, um, parents are spending on average in New York City, for instance, $15 on similar products like maple, yeah. uh, munchery. So, like, I use munchery for dinner. Sure. And, like, you know, I, I'll have, like, a steak dinner mm-hmm. and it'll be $11, like eleven ninety-five, And I guess... There's a delivery fee there, but it ends up being maybe 12 bucks because I'm getting a meal for my family. Um, so 13 for lunch for me is expensive. For one kid. And I'm relatively, you know, price insensitive for most of these things, but... Money bags over here. Yeah. <laughs> most of the people who are packing lunches are actually doing that to save money. And you can pack a very, very healthy lunch, you know, with... Um, even just a, a cheese, tomato, lettuce on bread. And you can do that really fast, and you can do that really inexpensively. So I'm not quite sure where the $13 comes from. And there are also a lot of people who have more than one child. Most, you know, most have two to three. So now you're talking about, you know, pretty yeah, pricey so we're, for we're lunch. St- we're starting at $13. You know, we, we're working with um, driving that cost down as we scale. What's their cost? Our cost is about our cost is about eleven to eleven fifty right now for, for a box of food. Hmm? Can you break that uh, cost down even more? Sure. So, so about sure. twenty about twenty percent of the cost right now is food. Right. Really, the largest flexibility and one of our biggest costs right now is shipping. Yeah. Our target demographic is people who are in homes that are earning one hundred and fifty thousand dollars plus. A year, there are people that we've seen are already spending this kind of money not only on themselves, but on things like classes for their kids. So sure. there are definitely people who are willing to spend this money for their kids. Doesn't yeah. that severely limit your like total addressable market when you just focus on 150K annual And those you know, are the parents that actually can afford buying a higher quality of food and being packing it. 
where actually if you're talking about how you first pitch where one out of every three or six children are obese in this country, those are the low socioeconomics. We're talking about those are the you know, mo- most people who are not making That's 150. That's a common misconception, though, because there are lots of kids, you know, one out of three kids and one out of five developing obesity-related disease actually has nothing to do with socioeconomic. It's I'm going to challenge you on that. We've yeah. done a lot of studies around that. I have, and um, our, my foundation has. And um, that's one of the biggest problems because fast foods are so easy and they're so cheap. Just a quick note. Megan is saying that many kids who are obese actually are not low income. And she's right. The CDC reports that about 60 percent of obese children in the U.S. live above the poverty level. But to Jillian's point, low income children are far more likely to be obese than their higher income counterparts. This is important because the founders began the pitch saying they wanted Tuckerbox to help solve the problem of childhood obesity. But if their service is geared only towards families making over six figures a year, are they really addressing that problem? You know, this price that we came up with, it's not like it came out of anywhere. So we did a lot of research and surveys of parents, and we have parents telling us they would pay upwards of $15, $16 a meal in New York City for this. In New York and City, though. Probably like 2% of families yeah, I don't, in the US. I don't think you're getting the nutrition to the people, the kids who you should be getting the nutrition to, who are those families who are, you know, who are turning to fast foods instead of, you know, or throwing together the pop tart and the cheese. And definitely, movies, we definitely strive, you know. you know, to get there and make a bigger impact in that way. I think getting into the schools and teaching kids hands on and mm-hmm. being able to influence mm-hmm. them more and more. And I just was at Brooklyn Grange um, last week, which is a rooftop farm in, in New York. And we can envision taking kids on field trips up there and seeing, showing them how you can live in an urban setting or a suburban setting and still um, be exposed and, you know, be involved in. But then their parents can't afford these meals. And you're right. We're not addressing the poorest of the poor kids. And the reality is that the product that we're creating exists in a time when that kind of a product maybe can't address those kids. And that's why all of that's very important to me. But what if I can affect people on another end of it? What if I can take money from people who are more affluent and use that to create programming that does the things that those parents can't do? We have a system in place where a portion of our profits goes to our Tucker Fund and works to teach kids full circle where their food comes from with hands-on food education in the classroom, as well as um, seeing how to prepare fun, creative meals, um, you know, in, in that class demo while getting to eat Tucker Box lunch in low access areas. For a lot of venture capitalists, this is the sweet spot where profit meets public service. Let's find out if our investors think Tuckerbox can deliver on that promise. Here's Howie. The, the food education aspect is really intriguing to me because I grew up, my mom was a nutritionist and oh, okay, dietitian. Cool. And, yeah. and I grew up in the 80s when like no one was talking right. about yeah. like food education. You know, I didn't know what, I just wanted to eat candy and fast food and I mostly did. And my mom would cook, like, instead of spaghetti, we'd have spaghetti squash. Instead of hamburgers, we'd have veggie burgers. I would always complain about it because I just didn't know, right? Mm -hmm. And she didn't do a good job of of educating me on why we should be putting, you know, these things into our bodies and why, you know, she just let me be a kid. 
Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, mom. How is mom? Um, Throw mom under the th- bus. Thanks. Thank you for trying. Um, but I think in terms of this business, um, yeah, I just don't think the per unit economics makes sense right now. And, and this is something, by the way, that every food delivery and meal delivery subscription or on demand or whatever company deals with, right? This is like a pervasive problem in this space. So this isn't shouldn't be news to you, right? Um, but I think the way to solve that is to get to, is to reach scale. Mm-hmm. And you know what I didn't hear is sort of the ways you're going to acquire customers, you know, like how much you're going to be able to acquire customers. I think investors are going to want to see something, something in terms of market penetration, in terms of you guys going out and doing this and then coming back and showing us those numbers to say, hey, yes, this is a problem, but look, we figured it out. I want to be helpful and, uh, and good luck, but I'm, I'm going to pass for now. All right. So Howie's out. Phil's next. Though Tuckerbox is pre-revenue, so if you've been paying attention to past episodes, you can probably guess his answer. I said before I'm passionate about what you're doing. I love your what you're doing, and, and you seem to be passionate Thank about you. it, yeah. which is we which are. is evident. <laughs> um, for me, it's 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 binary. You're pre-revenue. It's too early for us. Yeah. So I'm going to pass. Okay. Here's Sheil. Um, for me, I. Um, I, I like you guys. I think like actually your initial pitch was um, you, you came off very solid. The trouble I have is so first of all, I think it's going to be hard to get a lower price point. I think you can probably um, play with the numbers and, and get your cost down. Like, yep. but I, I think you're trying to do too much. Like the app seems like an entirely different business than delivering food, and I, I don't think you need to be doing both. And then on the food delivery, I think. I think in general, it's going to be tough to raise money right now with a pre-revenue food delivery company. Mm-hmm. I think the price point is high, so there's a certain demographic. You don't need to set up your own infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, shipping is expensive, but not as expensive as you think. Like You can get your costs down, but it's totally unproven, so sure. I'm going to have to pass. Phil, Sheil, and Howie have all passed on Tuckerbox, and the founders are down to two investors, Jake and Jillian. Here's Jake. So um, I really love the mission. Like I said, I've got a five-year-old who I really wish would eat healthier and would have (laughs) these apps. And, you know, my daughter goes to school five days a week. She needs to eat lunch five days a week, 40 weeks out of the year, right? So if you had a product that really caught on, was affordable for families, I think you'd get five meals a week for every kid, right? But I just don't think the unit economics work at $13 um, a lunch. I mean... I don't think you're going to be able to get it down to five, which would be amazing. I think that would be an easy sell all across the country. But it's got to be under 10 for you to have sort of mass adoption, and especially to be able to reach the people you're trying to reach, which are the ones who have trouble getting healthy food as it is. Uh, the converse is like under 10, you're not going to make any money. And that's why, like, as much as I want the business to exist, I don't know if it can't. So we never want to say to anybody that your business can't exist. Yeah, um, sorry. Because I had a I had a Russian grandfather who said, even at 106 years old, where there's a will, there's a vey. Yeah. <laughs> and so I know you guys had the will. Right. And you're going to try to find the way. Absolutely. Um, Meg Whitman talked a long time ago. She always said to me and everyone, uh, don't boil the ocean. Right. Okay. Don't boil the ocean, right? <laughs> I can't stress that enough. Hit one thing, do it well, and then expand from there. Don't try to educate everybody. Don't try to create a game. Don't try to do this, try to do this. 
focus in what is the most viable way to be able to deliver the healthiest meal. Sure. So if I were you, I'd look at that one problem and really zero in and say, you know what? This piece might not be making sense. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll definitely revisit that. Okay. I appreciate it a lot. I'm going to pass, mm-hmm. all right, because you're not there yet. Bring down the price. Come back to me. Mm-hmm. Come back to me. I, I, I do back female founders all the time, not Absolutely. because they're female, because I happen to think they're amazing, um, <laughs> and they're taskmasters. Um, and you, in your mission, like everybody said, to provide healthier food for children, why wouldn't anybody back that? So I want you to put your super business, okay, ahead <laughs> on and say, okay, what makes a good business? Not right. just a mission. Not what makes a good mission. What makes a good business? Yep. Okay. So cool. go do. Also, I have so one much. last word for you. Lunchables. <laughs> they changed my life when I was a kid. Can you make them healthy? I'd like to see what you guys do with this feedback. It was definitely nice feedback. to have so many parents in the <laughs> Yeah, a lot of parents. Groups, so yeah, yeah. And, with and Howie's like a big kid, so we get yeah. to... Yeah, so we parent Howie. 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 <laughs> Megan and Alex head home without the funding they were hoping for. Back in the studio, investors continue to chat about their pitch. Look, none of these companies are making money, I don't think. No, they're I mean, these, not. these food delivery no, companies. Fact, yeah. So it's not really about profitability, it's about scale, right? And a, I lot mean, of the, uh, a lot of these. Wait, what, what does that mean if it's never. <laughs> no, I mean, you lose like, money on every order, make it up on value order, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, near term. Sure. Classic. I mean, I don't think. Classic. Do you think Blue Apron and Plated are, are profitable? No. No. No, no. no in fact, VCs, everybody's looking away from these companies right now because they've lost a lot of money. I didn't even bring up insurance. I didn't even bring up the liability mm. aspect there of this. There are so many yeah. things that okay, we could so have brought up that didn't. This is an operational intention to the business. I don't they, get the sense that they're well, the they're they weren't business people. Yeah. They had no operational experience, yeah. right? Yeah. One was yeah, a designer or one ran a farm. They need a partner who's, you know, one of the founders who's into the logistics, the operations. Yeah. Also, like when I see these companies with these types of trends, like this is a this is a hot space, right? It's a is it? It was a hot right space now. four years ago. Well, maybe, yeah, but you know, they're still it's still alive. And then when I see yeah. companies that like kind of take take a derivative stance on it, but like do it in like a micro sector under that right. space, right. it's it like doesn't that yeah, it gets smaller. It becomes like fragmented, and it's like not as exciting as yes. the general space yes. of right. itself. That companies that are trying like their their total addressable market kept getting narrower and narrower I, I, as they kept talking yeah. about. Their price going yes. up, and there's like. What Howie's talking about, it's like the Uber for puppies eating ice cream phenomenon. In other words, a company that takes a really narrow approach to an already niche market. When we come back, I'll ask the founders how things are going with Tuckerbox and find out if they've been able to bring their service to a larger market. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. We talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on the show, and one thread that connects them all, they're not just pitching their business, they're pitching themselves. Because small business owners know that their business is more than just a company, it's their whole life. And State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, and they know what it takes. They can help you choose personalized policies that fit your budget. That's the personal touch. That's small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. Small business owners know that it's not just business, it's personal. Your business is your life, and State Farm gets that. 
State Farm agents are small business owners too, so they know what it takes. They can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. And they live and work in your community. So you're not just getting an insurance plan, you're getting that personal touch. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back. Hey, Josh. How are you? All right. Hi, so let's get Megan and Alex on the phone. Like, when you look back on that pitch, like, what do you what do you think about? What are your feelings? I feel, from my perspective, like, we just got a lot of feedback at a point where some of it we were expecting, and then some of it was really helpful in how we kind of tuned things moving forward. I definitely agree with what Alex said. Um, and I guess the biggest thing that we were hearing was we needed to prove traction and further prove our concept, which we knew um, yeah, walking yeah. in and what that's exactly what we've been doing. So it, it, you know, it was super helpful in that way. Yeah. I think in the long term, just understanding what some of the processes are for how foods can be packed has allowed us to change the model from shipping twice a week to shipping once a week, which is, basically cuts our shipping costs in half at yeah. any given time. So that's been been really great. Have you been able to bring the price down from $13? Actually, we're we're launching at $9.99. That's really good. That's the biggest holdup the investors had was price. Sure. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And has your target market changed? Not not dramatically. Um, I guess the main thing is um how we would like to release the product. So we're starting to think about zip codes, just like another sort of shipping end of things. It, it makes more sense to launch in certain areas. And that has kind of helped us think about the market and what schools are in that area and what type of families and um, the economics that way. So not huge. Yeah, <laughs> no. no. So it's still families that are well off. Yeah, I would say relatively well off. I mean, I don't think uh, I would say that at 150k, I mean, we're not reaching people who are impoverished and that's for sure and that's the side of the company that that aims at nonprofits, so that's where like the percentage of profit is going because we'd like to reach those people, but I think quite honestly in in a business model that's just not a possibility. We're not going to create two or three dollar lunches that are delivered to the home from farm fresh foods. Right. It's unfortunate that we we can't reach more people, but the question is also like, you know, can we make a successful business that can at least serve some people? I don't think that, you know, a business model like this can can help people in those other situations. I guess I think the the fear is, and I feel like this is what the investors felt in the room, is that the mission of helping families that need the most help, the, the fear is that the people you're helping the most with your subscription lunches aren't the people that need it the most. But I think that that's never what we advertised ourselves as. Like, I, I think that from the very beginning, like not because we don't want to be able to help other people, and that's very much similar to maybe a Tom's model or something else, what we're trying to do with the nonprofit side of it. But our mission from the beginning was like, kids kids nutrition and their understanding 
of their food and their diets. So we never specified that we only want to help kids who are lower income. Like uh, what what our what Tucker Box says is farm farm fresh lunches for kids delivered. Do you think the investors jumped to that conclusion on their own and and put you in a box that they wished you were solving and then Yes. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I definitely think from the beginning we were fighting this battle of how are you going to serve poor kids food for $10 or or $13 a meal? And that was never what we were saying. I think we made it very obvious. Also, you know, we, I think because we ended up in that pigeonhole, we also didn't talk much about like what our actual market was uh, and sort of what that plan was, because I think it becomes, I think the conversation kind of got side railed into, well, these parents are never going to be able to afford $13 a meal. And our pushback was sort of, well, we're not saying those are the parents we're going to. Obviously, as Tucker Box gets bigger, the amount of profit that goes to, you know, sort of the nonprofit foundation side gets bigger and we'll be able to do more with that, you know. But I think right now the idea is to really focus on making a successful company and then what we can do, you know, once we have that platform. Well, thank you, ladies, so much for coming on and answering some of my tougher questions. Well, Josh, thanks so much. It was actually, it was a really interesting experience. I think it's like, it was a little bit challenging, but I think in like we were prepared for the pitch, but we weren't at a point where, you know, we were if, really, I think if we had really more tight. traction, it right. would have made more sense. Right, Meg? We, we shouldn't have even, even if they had offered us money, we weren't ready to take a check when I think about it. Every founder dreams of walking out of a pitch with a six-figure deal. But sometimes not getting that investment is exactly what they need. Their company isn't ready. And for those entrepreneurs, a pocket full of feedback can go a long way. Since we talked, Megan and Alex have started their pilot program, are accepting pre-orders, and are launching the Tuckerbox app in September 2017. To hear scenes from next week's episode, stay tuned till after the credits. Want to share your thoughts? Send us an email to thepitch at gimletmedia.com. Want to hear our thoughts? Subscribe to our brand new email newsletter and get behind the scenes stuff at thepitch.show slash email. Our show is produced by me, Josh Muccio, Asa Chaturvedi, and Rob Zipko. We are edited by Devin Taylor. Special thanks to Colleen Pellisier and Allison Berenger, who originally produced this episode back in our indie podcast days. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder, with original music composed by The Musemaker, Bobby Lord, and Keen Collective. We were mixed by Enoch Kim, with help from Matthew Bull. Thanks to Lisa Muccio for planning the Season 2 recording event last fall. And a quick disclaimer, no offer to invest is being made to or solicited from the listening audience on today's show. Also, I do want to say a quick thank you to the original sponsor of season two, the It's Worth Doing Right family. All right, you've been listening to The Pitch from Gimlet Media. I'm Josh Muccio. See you next week. Next week on The Pitch. I'm two-time Finnish barista champion, and I was ranked as a ninth best Two-time player. what? Two-time Finnish barista champion. Barista. Yeah. Barista. You're barista, coffee you're make, barista coffee champion. Making champion. And my passion is making that great coffee um, really easy and fun and accessible to as many people as I possibly can. 
You can have the most incredible product, but if you don't know how to talk about it, if it doesn't have a brand identity, okay, you're going to have a problem accelerating it. New episodes come out on Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a thing. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.